Now, I've called these verses, Hosea chapter 14, verses 1 to 5, the grace of God in a graveyard culture. Um, Interesting enough, I mean, Hosea is, uh, which is this quite short book, um, which is a a matter of, uh, if you look on the pages, it it goes from page 892 in the the, Our Church Bible to 902, 10 pages. And uh, a whole load of books in the Old Testament are called the Minor Prophets. Uh, minor, as as for you know, being a small, little prophet, and I, I would I call I would prefer to call them the Napole- Napoleonic books. Actually, you may remember. Well, Napoleon supposedly, and it, I think it's a myth, but supposedly he was a small man. Um, but of course, he was one of the greatest generals ever known. Uh, and so there was this this greatness in a little package. Well, actually, the so-called minor prophets are not little prophets. The voice of God speaks through them in every, every bit as vital as way as in the, the longer prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, Ezekiel. And the message of Isaiah is massive. Now, the second thing that is so interesting when you actually look at the Old Testament prophetic words from all these different people, from, from different areas of, uh, of, of uh, Israel or Palestine, because Hosea lived in the far north uh, of the country when it had been divided into the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of, of Samaria, or, um, or, the, or just call it the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, the thing is, that when you actually read these words, there is a voice speaking through, through Hosea, which is so similar to the voice that spoke through Isaiah, who lived roughly the same era, but lived in a totally different, uh, to- totally different background in the southern kingdom. And indeed, to me, it's one of the, the signs of the authenticity of the Old Testament that there is this common voice of God that is, once, you, once one uh, reads it and is familiar with the Old Testament, we're, we're hearing the same person speaking. And uh, it's a massive voice that speaks through uh, Hosea, uh, to his culture. And yet, the book of Hosea is also about the man Hosea, and it's about his marriage life, and it's about the culture in which he lived. Um, and uh, we, we're, we're hearing God take the circumstances of Hosea's own personal life and, the, and applying it to his culture in which he was living, and then using it to, to speak a message clearly uh, to those uh, in Israel, and of course to people today about the wonders of his amazing love, as well as, of course, the, uh, the terrible consequences of turning away from that love. And that's why I've called it a graveyard culture that he was living in. Because basically, I mean, the graveyard, for all its the fact we, we like going to graveyards, they are a place of death and also corruption. And the truth is that the northern kingdom of Israel was the promised land of freedom. It was part of the promised land. When Moses brought the tribes out of, out of slavery, out of misery, they were to be coming to a land flowing of milk and honey, a promised land in which they would find blessing and happiness and they would be following the law of God and they would, they would be protected from enemies and there would be one king eventually was promised to rule over them and bring, bring, uh, bring prosperity. But in fact, hundreds, a few hundred years later, This promised land of freedom was now a place degraded and debased by false religion, false ethics, 
false politics and human sin and human vice. And indeed, the more we know about Canaanite religion and the uh, the religions of the Baals, which affected the people of Hosea, and the, the, other, the other religious influences that were going at the time, the more horrible it becomes. But of course, I mean, this is the story of the Bible. It's the story of the gospel. Paul says, where sin abounded, grace abounded all of the more. And uh, this wonderful passage in uh, Hosea 14 is... This wonderful message of God's grace and kindness to the worst apostates, the most degraded and and disgusting people that you can imagine. Well, actually we can imagine it because some of us are like that and we know it inside. And yet, in the middle of the darkness and the depression and the despair and the grief of sin comes this incredible torrent of divine love aimed at the worst people in the world and promising them blessing. And so, I've called it the grace of God in a graveyard culture. Um, now, we, we actually, it'd be interesting uh, to, to actually note the similarities between modern Britain and uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And in fact, I'm going to mention a few. The people of Israel in the northern kingdom, there'd been a civil war, basically, between uh, the original kingdom of Israel that had been set up uh, under David and then Solomon, which had become a, a, a mini-superpower in the ancient world. It, it was expanding in a, to, to a great extent with great wealth coming through Solomon. But then he, his son um, exemplified all of, the, all of the wrong characteristics that Solomon talks about in Proverbs that we've been studying. And far from being a wise son and far from taking wise choices, he had st- stupid, corrupt young counselors who encouraged him to oppress the people, of, uh, the people of the country, to try to force them into labor. It was kind of like a, a, a semi-slave slave state in the sense that people were, were forced so many months in the work, year to work on the, on the buildings, work on the roads and so on, and then they'd be whipped and so on and so forth. And the result of this was a split country. The southern kingdom, Judah, based in Jerusalem, carried on with the, uh, uh, Rehoboam, the, 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 son of, the son of Solomon. And the northern kingdom went, went its own way with its own new king. And unfortunately, and this is where Hosea lived, um, with its own corrupt, corrupt religion, which we'll talk about. But you see, the people in the north thought of themselves as the true Israel, just as the people in the south did. And they looked back on this wonderful golden age under Solomon, no doubt. Just like in Britain, we look back on past times of prosperity. But in fact, there was political instability. Um, when Hosea was prophesying, there had been a whole succession of uh, kings that had been assassinated, supplanted, coup d'etats, and so on. A whole series of them. And uh, at the same time, there was, a, there was an empire, the Assyrian Empire, which was on the move and, and destroying countries and was a great threat uh, to it, to uh, to the northern kingdom, there was ethical corruption. Uh, we'll look at that in a bit more detail. The social oppression that was going on, the dishonesty, the drunkenness, the nastiness, the violence, the murders that was going on. There was a false religion, which again we'll look at. There was sexual depravity of uh, of the kind that actually we don't actually have in this country yet. Uh, there were official 
there were official shrines for prostitutes, male and female prostitutes, in which the prostitution and the sexual act was part of the religious worship, which was officially sanctioned by, well, I say officially sanctioned, it was permitted uh, to happen by the authorities. Now, basically, people were living, uh, living away from the living God. Now, actually, a lot similar to, to Britain, but there are relevant differences. The most important difference is that no nation has ever, ever had the place before God as the nation of Israel did. This nation was, had the special privilege and promise of being the nation that was going to uh, bring forth Jesus Christ. This was a nation that was going to be a blessing to the whole world, as Abraham, as Abraham had promised. And therefore, actually, all, they had all the more responsibility before God uh, to, to, uh, to uh, be light in this world. We might note, of course, um, that actually this is true of the church today and believers today. Our great responsibility is to live this life of light and purity, not corrupt, not false, not, not uh, uh, based on unholiness, but based on absolute purity of God. That's our response. And we, we need to take to heart that that is our role in this world. But I want us to notice this. We should be praying for our country in its corruptions. We are told, uh, or, uh, the, the people of Israel were told, when they, when they were in exile in Babylon, that they ought to pray for the welfare and wellness of Babylon, their oppressors, the nation that controlled them, that they were uh, veritable slaves under. Now, we must pray constantly for the wellness of Britain, with all of its corruptions, with all of its instabilities, and all of its uncertainties about the future. Let us continue to pray for them uh, in the fact that we are living in a what appears to be a graveyard culture too. A decadent culture that has lost its direction, lost even its rationality. Let's pray for it, that, it, that the Lord may deal with our country with mercy. But anyway, I want to, I want to be looking at uh, this passage of the wonderful grace of God shown to the, the people of God in, uh, in uh, Hosea chapter 14. But I, I also want to have a kind of a... A, a quick outline of the themes going through the book of Hosea. So perhaps you may, you may read it up yourself and perhaps understand what's been going on. And there's three things I want to look at. I want to look about the wrath of God that was actually being poured out upon uh, the, the, the northern state of Israel in the areas I've mentioned already. Uh, secondly, I want to look at Hosea's own private life, his ter- terrible the terrible wounds and pains he had to go through when his wife became a prostitute and how God used that experience to explain both how the Lord himself feels about our wandering away from him, our sins and our failures, and also the wonderful nature of the love of God uh, for his people despite our spiritual prostitution. And thirdly, I want to look at that last section that talks about the way that we can actually return to the Lord. So let me just now go into slightly a bit more more detail about um, uh, the the wrath of God being poured out upon the northern kingdom of Israel. Well, why was the wrath of God being poured out? Well, Paul says in Romans that when people refuse to have the true God in their knowledge, 
then God's wrath is, is poured out upon them, we might say, as a, as a matter of course. Because in refusing to have the true God in our knowledge, it affects every part of our, of our life. Our thinking and our philosophy, our, uh, the words that we use and our behavior. And ultimately, those who refuse to have God in their, in their thinking, those who refuse to have the true God in their thinking and the word of God, the Bible, in their society, ultimately leads to the decay and rottenness of that society. Now, what happened, uh, of course, uh, um, after the northern kingdom split away from the southern kingdom in this civil war caused by the stupidity of the king of, the, of, of Judah, of Judea, of the, uh, of the southern kingdom, was that quite soon there was compromise when it came to worshipping God. You see, firstly, the, it was the temple in Jerusalem that was meant to be the center of the worship of, of, of God. And um, the, the king of uh, the northern king, oh, well, we better have our own, uh, own center of worship, our own shrine. And a shrine was set up, and quite soon elements of pagan religion started to enter into the worship of God. They included idols, and uh, in fact even golden calves uh, became part, firstly, of the, of, the, of the shrine furniture, we might say, around the altar. But then ordinary people started to actually worship these golden calves. Now secondly... Uh, their religion was corrupted by their priests and their prophets because they no longer spoke the word of God. They, they spoke the, 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 and behaved uh, in, a, in a pagan way. They were representatives of paganism. Hosea says this, The Lord has a controversy with this land. There's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out. And we know that um, from Hosea and also from Amos that drunkenness, uh, the uh, orgies happening in the countryside, uh, in what were called the high places, where traditional pagan religion had been carried out for centuries, the Israelites were enticed into it and joined in uh, that 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 way of life, the knowledge of God was removed, and their behaviour and their sexuality was affected. It's inevitable. It was inevitable that Britain was going down the course it did in the 1940s and 50s, because you only have to read the Listener, which was the BBC, uh, the BBC magazine that was uh, was was released in the 40s and 50s. I've got uh, whole uh, volumes of them at home. Um, and you've only got to read these articles by respectable philosophers, theologians, and politicians in the 50s to see that these people didn't want God in their knowledge, didn't want the Bible in their knowledge. And although they were living a respectable life by our standards, there was no obvious uh, you know, uh, immorality, adultery, fornication, uh, or homosexual behavior, or anything like that appeared not to be going on, but it was obvious these men refused to have the Bible as their guidelines. And it was inevitable that as these men had more and more influence, men and women had more and more influence, that in fact our society would become as it, as it is today, uh, with a massive pagan element and with Christianity being affected with its graveyard religion and its graveyard ethics. Um, 
Hosea particularly uh, has, a, has a words to say, or God has words to say, with the pastors of, of his day, the prophets and the priests. It says in Hosea chapter 4, verse 4, Yet let no one contend and none accuse, for with you is my con- for my contention is with you, O priests. You shall stumble by day, the prophet shall stumble you by night, and I will destroy you. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you've rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me, and since you've forgotten the law of, of your God, I also will forget your children. And that, that is a process that I think you can see in the way the state established religion of, uh, of Britain by and large has operated over the past 60 or 70 years. The northern kingdom was under judgment. Judgment on the leaders and people. Uh, in uh, chapter 5, Hosea says this, I know Ephraim, Ephraim is, is one of the words that's used for the northern kingdom, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. In other words, you've become a prostitute from me. Israel is defiled. God's picture, often presented in the Old Testament, is of a marriage between God and his people. And, and marriage is based upon a covenant, uh, an agreement, a deal, a contract. And God will look over and protect his people as long as they are faithful to him. But in fact, the people are accused of being like whores, like prostitutes. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 4, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. Now, this sounds ever so old-fashioned, like from an old film, doesn't it? Uh, These kind of very um, harsh words. But actually, what he's talking about is something that is endemic within the human heart unfaithfulness to God, as well as unfaithfulness to one another, but unfaithfulness to God. And uh, these graveyard ethics uh, kind of went both ways. Uh, that um, They went downwards, that the leaders forsook, forsook the law of God, and the leaders murdered and killed and, and oppressed, but it went both ways. The kings themselves found themselves being targeted by people from beneath them and were assassinated. And if I can give you an example, um, after Jeroboam II uh, um, died, after quite a long and prosperous uh, uh, time, in which uh, some good was done uh, through the works of prophets, but after he died, his his successor was called Zechariah. He he lasted six months before he was killed by Shalom. Um, Well, he didn't last long because he only lasted six months too because he was killed by Menahem. And then, uh, well, Menham didn't last that long because Tiglath-Pileser, who was the, uh, the king of Assyria, invaded the land. Um, and Menham um, bribed him uh, with 37 tons of silver, uh, to uh, you, taxing people, of course, to pay off this, this guy. But he didn't, he, he didn't last long because uh, Pekahiah came along... Uh, who was then killed by Pekah after two years. Now, these are all people that aspire to kingship, all people that go down on the, in the role of history. As, no one knows who they are, apart from people like archaeologists and Bible historians. But people who wanted to be someone, wanted to be the king. The, 
the graveyard ethics had not only gone down but going upwards and the, 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 the underlings started to kill the king in order to have his power. This goes right down to the reign of Hoshea, who finally, in 722, uh, was, uh, was uh, killed when um, Assyria finally invaded and destroyed the northern kingdom, and the northern kingdom ceased to exist. Now, basically, a culture that lives without God is living under the wrath of God will come to no good end. And uh, specifically, firstly, God may bring disaster upon such a country, like in the case of Israel, or it may simply be that the force is let loose by human selfishness and human evil simply causes destruction of that society. In the old days, they used to call it a decadent society that was rotting uh, you know, from the head downwards. And... Uh, Whichever way you look at it, societies that leave God out are in trouble. Um, but I want to now move on to actually look at not only Israel under the wrath of God, the northern kingdom, which eventually, uh, eventually all, of their, um, all of their rebellions of their kings and their stupidity and foolishness ended in their, the destruction of, of, of the whole northern kingdom. But I want to look at this this very strange relationship that Hosea had with his, with his wife. Now, we're told that Hosea was, um, was, was told by the Lord um, that um, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, and I think you perhaps look at this very strange verse, Hosea 1, verse 2. Um, Hosea... It's told this very strange thing. Verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, that the land that commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Sorry, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Goma, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, Most scholars uh, think that this wasn't actually um, that Hosea married a prostitute, simply as that. Um, it was a statement by God rather like when Jesus said to Judas, well, he didn't say to Judas, did he? He said to the whole of the disciples, haven't I chosen you, and yet one of you is a devil? Now, when Jesus said that, um, I don't think anybody would have recognized that as being a portrait of Judas at the time. Because Judas at that point in time was not, uh, although he clearly wasn't a believer, he appeared to be but wasn't, but he didn't uh, exhibit any manifestations of being possessed by the devil. In fact, it's only, it's only during the actual um, last few weeks of Jesus' life that the devil appears to really take in control of Judas. And at one point, in, I think it's John's Gospel, it says that Satan entered into Judas you know, just at the, at the Last Supper, and he went out into the night and then betrayed Jesus. And uh, so when, when uh, Jesus said, one of you is a devil, it's like a, a prediction, a prophecy, that, that one of you, them would become that person. And an, an awful lot of scholars think that that's actually what this prophecy meant, that Hosea didn't marry a prostitute, he married an ordinary, an ordinary lady, but uh, that God knew would 
be involved in a, in a spiral downwards into immorality. Uh, in fact, we haven't got time to look at all of the verses, but uh, at one point uh, we're told that she had a paramour, in other words, a lover. Now, and we also know that, that she fell into slavery at some point. And so a picture that we may build up is of this. Is Hosea married a, a, a young woman, had a family life, but she then at some point committed adultery, took on a lover. Now you've got to remember that this that Israelite society then in the northern kingdom was just like our society today. And in our society today, adultery is to a penny, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, happy, family, happy families are broken up left, right, and center by men or women uh, having wandering eyes and, and going off with someone. And that's what it was like in the northern kingdom. And this, this woman, firstly, took on a lover, deserted uh, Hosea. And reading between the lines, having take, taken, on a lo- t- taken on a lover, she then may have been abandoned by the same bloke. And like uh, many women down through the ages, was forced into prostitution, you might say economically, because there was no other way of her surviving, but, but by becoming a prostitute. Also, let's remember that prostitution was so common in Israelite society, uh, with all of these shrines dedicated to the Baals, the fertility gods, in which prostitutes, uh, prostitution was just part of the way of thinking, that it's... I think fairly logical to say that that's how she found herself becoming a prostitute and eventually she found herself in the slave market. Now, this is pure pain for Hosea. We have clear indications as you read Hosea that he loved his wife before she, before she, uh, she broke his heart by going off with another bloke and then going down and down and down into prostitution. But, but here's, here's the amazing thing, that God basically tells Hosea and he's inspired when he finds her in the in the slave market to buy her back to redeem her you know to to take this woman who has shamed him betrayed him and and actually takes her back buys her back and then uh, he he kind of is told to kind of put, put her on probation for a time and she's to to cleanse herself from her old ways and so on and then he takes her back as his lovely wedded wife. We might. I mean, this is it. This is. I mean, if it wasn't written down, you you wouldn't re- you wouldn't really believe it if you saw it on a Hollywood uh, on a Hollywood movie, would you? And the fact that it is written down is so shocking and shameful that you think, how could Hosea possibly not be ashamed of his wife? How could he take her back and love her? Well, the answer is this, of course. He was able to do so through the power of God in his life and through the fact that God wanted to exhibit in Hosea God's amazing love for us. Now, I just want, to, just want us to think about the fact that, about what Jesus thinks about you. Now, here's the interesting thing. The only time Jesus said he might be ashamed of people is if you are ashamed of him. Jesus said... You know, that he, you know, who's ashamed of me and my words, on that day I will be ashamed of him. If you're ashamed to be a follower of Jesus and ashamed to follow Christ, he will be ashamed of you. Yeah, but what about the really sinful people that Jesus... Isn't isn't Jesus ashamed of, well, like Goma, this, this woman who was involved in prostitution, hundreds, thousands of men. Uh, who, who 
betrayed her husband and betrayed her children. And uh, it, Wouldn't Jesus be ashamed of her? Well, it's this marvelous, wonderful thing about the grace of God. When Jesus comes into this world, he, he shows love and kindness to all sinners, including actually prostitutes. Uh, on a number of occasions, he's criticized for, it, for, for, for his relationship with sinful women. And of course, uh, in the, um, when he met the woman at Samaria, uh, it, it looks like she may have been a prostitute because she'd had uh, sex with so many men before and it was unusual in, uh, in, uh, in, in Samaritan society even in those days to, to have a succession of men like that unless you were a prostitute. But the thing is this, is that the Bible says this amazing thing. Jesus would be ashamed of me or of you. (laughs) When we look at our life and how it should have been and should be. But instead of being ashamed of us, he takes the shame on himself. He takes the penalty of sin and the shame of sin. That verse that we quote so often... Him who knew no sin, who was innocent and pure of all sin in his life, he took the public shame of all the sins of the world upon himself, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that Jesus doesn't look upon us with shame of associating, linking himself with us, but rejoices in kindness and love. Towards us now, that that to me is the, the, the one. The, there's so many aspects of uh, of Hosea's relationship with his wife, but this is one of the w- wonderful things that we find a restoration of that loving relationship between a man and his wife. And this is a picture of the restoration that can happen between someone who is a sinner and the living, pure, and holy God, and uh, which is shown in the book of Hosea. And I, you know, I, I really, you know encourage you to to read the whole book and uh, in the light of the framework that I've given you uh, so far and the historical framework to see the power of these uh, of these words but I just want to finish on um, the fact of the restoration that happens between um, uh, uh, Hosea and his wife reflects the restoration and the return of the people uh, that is possible through Christ now, one of the things that's, that's said about the people of Israel in the northern kingdom was that they, their, their repentance was always superficial. Um, in, in chapter 11 and verse 7, um, it says this, My people are bent on turning away from me. And though, though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. And the, uh, there's a refusal to respond to God that was in the, the, the people of northern Israel. They'd, be, they'd hear the message of the prophets. They'd perhaps have char- memories of their childhood teaching from uh, the Old Testament uh, law. But they would always be half-hearted. They would kind of want to change, but they wouldn't really change. Now, God wants more than a superficial Turning to him. He wants a deep, heartfelt turning uh, to himself in repentance. At one point, uh, the Hebrew uh, um, uh, of uh, one of uh, God's uh, invitations is, is, to Israel is this oh, turn Israel, 
right back to the Lord. Not, it isn't just saying turn to the Lord, but right back to the Lord. And uh, the thing is that we're given the instructions now in this passage in chapter 14, verse 1, of how we do it. Look at uh, now on page 902 of these marvelous words. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity, your wickedness, your evil, rotten ways. You've stumbled, and indeed you are, you are near to, to being destroyed, but return. Come back. And then it says, take words with you. Now, uh, Hosea often is critical of this superficial words and superficial religion. But when, when God is saying, take with you words... He means take meaningful words with you to God. Now sometimes, uh, you know, people are, are given a form of words to pray in prayer books. And actually, it's perfectly biblical that we, we could, you know, we could write a prayer down and then say that prayer if we really mean it. Perfectly biblical. After all, that's what the Psalms are. The Psalms are, are written prayers that we repeat, we sing them. Uh, written for us by, by inspired prophets. Um, but the thing is this, is that if we have a written prayer or spontaneous prayer, it's meant to be really sincere, really from our hearts. And uh, we are to return, we're to take words and return to the Lord and say to him, take away all iniquity. We have to be honest and, 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 uh, and open before God about the iniquities and evil that's been in our mind, on our lips, in our behavior. And... Come to the Lord and, and uh, well, it says accept what is good. And uh, the uh, uh, interpretation that I've read from a, a few commentators is that this isn't saying accept me because I'm a good person or accept good aspects of me. But it's saying accept the fact that I am coming the way you want me to come. I'm coming the good way. I'm coming uh, in, in uh, brokenness and in shame. I'm coming to you um, the way you want and I'm committing myself uh, to accept you. And then I'll pay um, with, with bulls the vows of our lips, which is a, a Hebrew kind of idiom for basically, I'll, I'll, I'll be giving you thanksgiving, I'll be giving you praise from my heart. So in other words, we might say, uh, with God's help, we will repent. Uh, verse 3 tells us that we won't look to other saviors. Uh, the thing about... Um, the northern kingdom was that they sought to remedy some of the ills caused by their sins by political alliances and particularly by the Assyrian alliance and of course that was a fatal in the end that was a fatal move because eventually Israel, uh, the Assyrians having taken vast amounts of money from the uh, from the northern kingdom when the northern kingdom suddenly refused to pay any more uh, they then destroyed it and uh, Assyria shall not save us we will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the works of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. Now notice those meaningful words. Are, we're not going to trust in any other remedy. You alone, O oh God, is to be our saviour. And it is because, Lord, we are lost. We're like orphans. We're totally deserted, alone and forsaken. Lord, please have mercy upon us. And finally, we have this wonderful passage where God shows his incredible love to his people. Notice, God heals apostasy. Um, the uh, old uh, 
King James Version, used the word backsliding, which, uh, as one commentator pointed out, was a, a very weak word to express the Hebrew word. Backsliding implies, oh, you know, we, we gradually, you know, just gradually have, have lost our edge and we've had little things go wrong. But that's not really what that word means in the Hebrew. It's talking about a real turning away from God, apostasy. But God will heal the apostate. I will love them freely. I'll be like, uh, for my anger has turned from them. For my anger has turned from them. Now these are uh, the very essence of the gospel of Christ. The very essence of the gospel is that God's anger has been, has been diverted away from the sinner, although he deserves it. The, the apostate sinner, the one who's turned away from God, who's been a, a violent man, the one who's been a, a blasphemer like Paul. God has poured out his love and we have loved freely. God's anger has been directed towards the Son of God on the cross. He has borne the full wrath of God for us. And the result will be that we will be, he will be like Jew to Israel, like in a, in a drought. Suddenly at night, a dew comes down and, and the flowers receive precious uh, liquid that actually revives them and the plants actually start to, to get a bit, of, uh, a, a bit of moisture in them and we are revived. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the streams, like the, sorry, the trees of Lebanon. Now here is the marvelous thing about the, becoming a Christian is that if you become a Christian, your soul will start to blossom. You may have other problems, but your soul will start to blossom. You will find joy in the Lord. You will have other problems outside of you, but inside you will have salvation working within you, and you will become fruitful. And the same applies to backslidden Christians. Um, you know, sometimes Christians can wander for years away from the Lord, but when the Lord uh, speaks to you and, and tells you to come back, then in fact uh, you will start to blossom again. So. Um, I just want to just finish this sermon by the words uh, from uh, from Hosea chapter 10, in which God says this. Sow for yourself righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. It's time to seek the Lord, and he will send showers of righteousness upon you. Uh, If you aren't yet a believer, you will receive the righteousness of Christ showered upon you. You will no longer uh, be, be looked on in God's sight as a sinner, but rather God will see the righteousness of Christ flooding over you. And uh, those, those uh, who are Christians, of course, we may, may bless the Lord that day by day as we live for the Lord... He is pleased with us because of Jesus, what Jesus Christ has done for us. He will hear our prayers. He will grant us fruitfulness. In the middle of a graveyard, we will have wonderful life uh, brimming through us. Uh, let's just have a prayer and then we'll sing the last song. Oh, Father, we do thank you for this wonderful story of tremendous emotional pain that Hosea had uh, years of agony uh, with his wife deserting him 
a broken family, and then the the pain of seeing his wife in, in a slave market as a common prostitute. But we thank you, Lord, that this marvelous story tells of your wonderful love for us. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, there's redemption for the worst of sinners. Thank you, Lord, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all of the more. And we thank you, Lord, that we find all of this in the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise you for him. We thank you, Lord, that he is the Lord of glory. And how we pray that this message, Lord, will have power in these months and days and, and years in Britain. And that there will be great numbers of people that will come to Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.